Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Kurt Davis is a technology entrepreneur, well-being fan, and aspiring social impact worker. The first 20 years of his career was spent between Silicon Valley and Asia and working with technology startups in finance and business development roles. During the pandemic, he launched, actually, he's done several books. You know, one was on, on well-being called The Isolation Survival Guide. He also finished a book called Finding Soul from Silicon Valley to Africa, because he's had some good experiences traveling in Africa, as, as I have. And then he's also got his latest book, which is the one we'll focus on more, which is all about, it's called Navigating the Lighthouse, a Silicon Valley Guide to Executing Global Deals. And that is all about sales, business development, enterprise deals, and things like that in the in, in the space. He's also been a, a venture capital investor, and he's got a new startup that actually has come in between the time he and I had a, a previous call and this podcast. So we'll talk about that as well. Kurt Davis, welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to talk a little bit about my experiences. So, you know, we'll, we'll come to, to your new venture. We'll come to deals in a moment. But I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because, I don't know, maybe a tech entrepreneur and deal maker and, and you know, venture capitalists and or investor probably wasn't it, but you tell me. You know, I think uh, when I was a kid, I, I really liked baseball. And so mm -hmm. I thought that would be a cool thing to be. But I uh, realized around 12 that um, even though I was a very good baseball player, I, I probably didn't have the size to make it, especially when I compared myself to some of the others around me. Uh, but I did get into into selling and working mm -hmm. at a very young age. And I, and I loved math. And so I did, and my dad was an accountant, so I was quite interested in business at a very young age. And in fact, I even started a landscaping business when I was like 14. So I got into it very young. That entrepreneurial bug from a young young time, I, I had it as well. One other question looking back, what was your first deal of any type? It could have been some something when you were younger as a kid, or it could be early in your career. What, what, what comes to mind? My first deal. Wow, that's a that's a great one. I, I would say probably walking across the street and asking my neighbor if they wanted to their lawn cut, <laughs> and yeah. uh, them saying yes. And I was like, oh. And uh, they're like, do you want money? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much is that? And I was like, I don't know, five bucks. Yeah. They're like. Maybe you can have 10. And I was like, oh, yeah, 10. 10 good. I like 10. Yeah, so so that, that was it. And and then I remember over time, we were doing more and more. My dad was like, you know, you're going to have to pay for gas in the in lawnmower. I can't keep paying for your gas. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. We can share some money. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it. Love it. Those young entrepreneurial stories. So let's talk about, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned this new startup you have and you're, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur. Just give us a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah. So, you know, I think as I've been kind of knocking around in the Southeast of the U S I'm in, been in Knoxville, Tennessee and reconnected with, I went, I grew up in South Carolina, reconnected with some of my college buddies from Davidson college and was just looking around at, you know, what's going on in the South and, there must be some startups. So I, I took some time and I was kicking tires and made a few small investments and coached some young entrepreneurs. And one of them I really liked, it was called ByteLine. And they were building a two-sided marketplace connecting dental professionals with dental offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a post-pandemic world, it's all over the news. We see it today. Staffing healthcare is really difficult. And healthcare workers don't want to be at the beck and call of every uh, organization and they want to work when they want, um, where they want and for how much money. And so we started to see this platform pick up a little bit uh, during the pandemic. And then afterwards, it kind of started to grow a little bit. And uh, the CEO was young, he was 25 and he felt like he was getting a little burned out. He'd been in it for three years and uh, he came, you know, gave me a knock on the door. I said, Kurt, would you would you like to run this? I think, I think I'm a little burned out. And I said, yeah, let me, you know, spend a few months on it. And so then I ended up taking the helm just recently and we're raising some money. We raised, you know, called $600,000 out of a million and we're off to the races and it's uh, really exciting. We have kind of 50 dental offices in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a few hundred professionals and we're growing market to market and we have big visions for this and big ideas. I love it. So let's talk a little bit about, for a second about before we get to the book and some of the other stuff. So you were doing some investing on your own, right? After having prior, you know, startup and tech uh, company experience and that kind of stuff. And now you're raising capital. Remind me, have you raised capital in the past? Not like this, not where I was raising capital in a in a manner like sales. I did help my last company raise a few million dollars through some strategic investors, but that was more one-off type things, but not a, not an official fundraising type campaign. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So listen, so, you you know, you've had, it's interesting. So you've been on the investor side, you know, and I mean, you know, uh, I, 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 and smaller companies, you've been on the strategic fundraising side at at, at bigger companies. And now you are at the, at the, you know, the, the seed capital, or I don't know if these are, you know, right. Yeah. You know, it's right. Seed appreciate, you know, like previously raising capital for your own, you know, for a company that you are personally involved in. So let's talk about those different perspectives. I think that's an interesting, you know, look, right? Because we look at things differently when we're raising capital for someone else and strategic investors are different than financial investors. And also when you're investing yourself, right? You're looking at things for a certain way. So talk to us a little bit about those different roles in in investment and maybe some of the things you see for, you know, maybe are you surprised at things from the other side of the table, so to speak? Or, you know, has that prior experience helped you with your raising capital now? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's been a learning experience. I think, you know, what I was jotting this down the other day, actually, what 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 am I learning as I'm going? There are, you know, very few people who are willing to take a bet on something very early. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we're in a difficult time, but, you know, this whole idea of pre-seed, you know, money was easy for a while, but, you know, here's a concept and let's go for it. And even if you're like, you've got, you know, 
it was kind of funny. People really don't care that I'm like 45 and I've like built three, two companies. Like, it's just like, they don't care. Right. Or, or they just don't like me. Like I haven't decided, (laughs) but like, there's just, I mean, it just blows my mind who gets funded and who doesn't like, Mm. they don't even have conversations with you. And I'm like, you don't even want to talk to me. Like you, you just look at like the presentation and you say, no, like I must be really dumb. So I, I have like lost a ton of respect for people yeah. in early stage investing through the process. But I also know that now that like, yeah, there's only a few people who are willing to really get behind you at that stage. And those are people who probably know you and have worked with you. Yeah. And so that's like important in that early stage as well. And I do think as you get into that kind of seed to series A, companies who want to write bigger checks, they want to see and make sure that they're you're at a stage where there's product market fit, right? So yeah. I think I think to look at like, when you look at the differences, it's like, okay, here's uh, a person with an idea on a team. And if you have a really great team, maybe you can get funded quickly. And of course, I had just taken it over and I had to change the team and stuff like that. So it was a little choppy. And so a few people were like, get back to me when you stabilize and sure. you have a little bit more clarity. So that made sense. Like, And so it's like trying to find people who are going to be like really early risk takers, versus people who want to see a product market fit. And then the next wave is the people who want to just see a clear runway, like a clear, okay, you've got the market fit, you know how to expand it. And now I just want to give you growth capital. And the funny thing about it is that has gone earlier. I used to think that was like series B and series C in strategic investing. It's like, here's the model. If I go to five more markets, here's the model. If I get this many clients, like, and that's like standard, but now it's moved back. It's like seed round investors are asking me, I need the playbook of like going after. And I'm like, wasn't that growth capital? Like (laughs) I'm I'm still selling, right? Like I I got, you know, so it's interesting kind of where it's moved. The risk, the the amount of people willing to take risk are are, are much lower. So, you know, uh, my, when I, you know, if you, if you're out there doing something early, like make sure you've got the people on board who are risk takers and make sure you keep them close to you so that they'll make a bet on you and uh, take them along for the ride and, and, you know, give them a really good deal and make them part of your team. Like one of the things I've learned with this is the people investing at this stage, you know, we've given a very low valuation and they're part of the team. Like, you know, I call on them and ask for advice. They're there. They know as much going on as anybody else. And we value that. We value that advice. And, and we give them the full upside. We're going to give them a tremendous amount of upside for that. But the guys who later, we're not going to. So. And, so. and just, just to, for people to place it, because we are talking about sort of what's going on in a, in a marketplace, we're recording this. This is going to come out months later, but we're recording this in January of, of 2023. So, you know, we all know who knows, maybe markets can change. But, you know, but obviously, you know, if you had done this, this capital raise a year or certainly two years ago, you know, probably a very, very different result. I mean, are you attributing some of the shift in risk tolerance to, you know, really what's happened over the last, you know, year or whatever, how the markets changed? Oh, you know, there's probably a lot of that. I think there's a lot of people who have, who have changed their perspectives. There are a lot of people though, who, you know, they, they, they were really, they, they were investing at very high valuations. Yeah. I don't know if it would have changed that much. I Mm -hmm. I, I can't tell, you know, I actually think this is more interesting now than it was then. Like, because 
the world we live in. I'm like, I'd be chomping at the bit to get in this thing uh, because of how crazy that world is. So I don't know. I, I have no idea. I didn't raise then. I did see a lot of people because I was investing and yeah. I just laughed at a lot of stuff. I was like, you guys are crazy. Like $20 million <laughs> valuation for an idea. Like what right. are you talking about? Like right. $10 million, $5 million valuation. Like you think I'm going to buy your company for $5 million and you don't even have a client and you're a SaaS, you're out of your mind. Like, yeah, I'll give you a $2 million valuation, maybe if you're lucky. And so like now that's where the valuations are. And you know, that's what people are saying. And we're doing a $3 million valuation. And I think that's a great valuation. And we got customers and we got recurring revenue. So so if, well, actually, let, let me let me jump in here for both of the benefits. I'll do a little disclaimer. Obviously, the, we're talking about Kurt's journey, which includes the fact that he happens to be in the middle of a capital raise, but but this is not an offer to, you know, my legal disclaimer, this is not an offer to raise capital on this podcast, yeah. you know, so don't, that's not what this is about. But so let's talk about, you know, some of these investments you did make when you're on the investor side, because obviously, you know, you talked about some of the people who come in at ridiculous valuations and, and you know, frankly, I, I just invest in something at a pretty high valuation that has actually raised money at double that already. But that's because I think, you know, this thing can be like really groundbreaking. Like this is, this is something that's been trying to be solved, you know, for 10, 10 years in the, in the space. But, 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 but in general, you know, there, I mean, so there are those, you know, companies that, that maybe people can get early valuations on because they, because of the, you know, they, they are these potential true unicorns at that huge level. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of folks that are looking for more money than they're worth. So, and the investments you did make before you now focus back on, you know, being, you know, in, in a startup again, what were the criteria you were looking for other than, other than reasonable, you know, just reasonable, you know, aggression numbers? They're mostly really early stage, something where like a small check could get a big chunk of something I could really focus on and help something that was in the Southeast, something that maybe I would join and help yep. run. It would give me a sizable equity component. So a lot of it was just uh, a dabbling. I didn't do a ton of deals, but you know, some pe- people that I knew for I knew for a while. So it was I didn't do anything from people who I didn't know uh, or had met. So I think I think we had like two or two two of the deals were in Charlotte. One was in Texas. Someone I know for twenty years. They're doing quite well. One was in. Then we've got. So this was a little fun. I just it was my own money, and then. There was something in here in Tennessee I worked on in Knoxville. And then Techstars actually opened up a big deep tech cohort here in Knoxville. And we got to look at a lot of interesting deals there and, you know, invested in in one of them. So, you know, it was mostly Tennessee, local, North Carolina, and just looking at stuff and just trying to understand and see what excited me out there. So, and then I wanted to focus on the region here. Yeah. So. That was important. I didn't want to be really involved in California anymore. I didn't want to be involved in, I want to be here. So, so yeah. All right. All right let's qu- question that. I do want to get to the book and, and, and talking about some of these bigger enterprise sales, you know, and, and deals kind of stuff. But, you know, in terms of the, in terms of those investments, well, first, so the current company that you're involved in, you had a small investment in that initially. Is that how, is that what you said you got, you know, how you got involved originally? Yes. So, you know, so interesting. I mean, so I want to talk about that a little bit because we we certainly have listeners and clients and whatever who, you know, who've sold businesses or been involved in other startups and exited and they're in between. And, and you know, some of them just go into investing as a full-time thing. 
But like, talk to us just about that mindset a little bit before we get over to the book side on, you know, using, because it sounds like this is part of what you were doing, is using, you know, early stage investment to be a potential funnel to at least look at opportunities where you might want to get more involved on, you know, as an executive, as an operator, as a bigger player. Talk about that as a strategy. Right. It's, it's a great, it's a great catch. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was, I was contemplating whether or not I would raise a fund out here and want to invest or actually wanted to build. And it became very apparent to me that first of all, raising a fund was going to be very hard. And I was able to find a group of individuals who've been working on angel investing in the region. And we ended up teaming up and I invest, you know, invested in their funds so that we can, I can still keep my hand on different opportunities and see what they're doing, but they're really focused on the Appalachia region. And that's where I want to help. And that's where I want to invest with entrepreneurs. You know, like, I don't know if we'll have any Googles or anything like that, but we're going to have some, there's going to be some big ones and they're, they're doing some really interesting things here. The, but what I was trying to do to your point was like, can I build something? Can I find something here that is akin to, you know, kind of, akin to the region and that I can build and it could be like the region's first unicorn. That was really what I was thinking about. And I was like, okay, you know, I don't want to start something. I want to see where there's some young people kind of getting their hands dirty, working hard. And, you know, I, I always, I always laugh because I, I, that strategy is not different. I mean, if you look at like Sequoia and some of these guys, I mean, they go find entrepreneurs in Algeria. They go find entrepreneurs all around the world. They bring them to the US, but very rarely will they go to the other parts of America. And that's really interesting. And not only that, I think they're racist against a lot of people in America, but like, that's a different, like different discussion. But like, so I was just like, Hey, if nobody's going to do this here, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to go find some really smart guys to work with or girls. And that's what I was doing. And then like, I was like, you know, I'm going to see if I can build you know, get to know people that way and then make some bets and then like jump in something where they need me and I can make a big difference. And so yeah. like, that's kind of, cause, cause at the end of the day, like we know if you, it, it's hard to build wealth in the investing space, unless you have a lot of capital and you can spray a lot of bets. Right. But if you're good at building, which I think I'm pretty good at, then I'd rather say, I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket and I'm going to go build something. Yeah. Really build it. Right. And and take that bet. And that's a better bet for me right now. Love it. And listen, this really applies. I know, I know some listeners out there and some, you know, my clients and folks I know in the entrepreneurial community, this is such a great strategy for those folks who have, let's say, had, had an exit, but they're not done, or they've been, you know, even, you know, just a player at, at you know, at a, at a company that's, that's had an exit or they moved on for whatever reason. And, you know, you're looking for what the next thing to do is, but you want to do it at a, you know, at a different level. Obviously the access you get as an investor, even a smaller investor, you know, into these startup companies and the level of internal, you know, as opposed to just doing external due diligence as a potential, you know, the level of access to, you know, what's really going on and the ability to evaluate the potential of the company, you know, is so much more significant when you have an investment in it. And, you know, that is a strategy to, to you know, to figure out what you want to jump back into and help be a major player as a builder. I really, I really like that. And it's something we haven't really talked about much on this podcast, you know, in the past. So that's why I wanted to highlight it. I, I think that's a really interesting approach you took there. And, then, and sometimes you have to like, you, when you look at these opportunities, especially when you're with younger people who got that startup, you know, those, those bling bling in their eyes and they're like, I'm going to do a startup. You know, sometimes you have to say, okay, is it them? 
Is it their ability to manage and build a company or is it the market? And nine out of 10 times, it's the, the, the young people actually have really good ideas. Yeah. You know, young people, they're, 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 you know, coming out of colleges and universities, highly educated, you know, whether they're Georgia Techs or Dukes or Davidsons or Vanderbilts, whatever, you know, and they're saying, hey, these, we've been working on this, there's opportunity. And you wouldn't maybe have seen this, but their ability to actually build and raise money and do, I mean, that's hard, right? Like it's hard and it's hard as a young person. And, and most people, unless you get dumped $10 million because you went to Stanford or Harvard and you have all these people backing you, like you just can't get, you can't make $5 million of mistakes. Like you get like $300,000 from your friends and family. And you're like, either you got to build it and make it work or you don't. And so there's a lot of this that happens in this area, in these areas. And so, you, you know, go, go find young people with great ideas who just don't have those resources. And if you've got that, you know, if you've got, if you're, you've got that experience and you've, you've cut your teeth and, and you've, you've gone down that road and you think you know how to do it, go help one of them and, and get a good chunk of the company and go do it with them. Yeah, that, it makes so much sense. And you're right. I mean, listen, the companies that, you know, the, the small percentage of the companies that can big, big funding, yeah, sure, they can pivot four times, right? And figure out their business model and spend a lot of money going down one route that they, you know, leads them to the next or whatever. But you're right. I mean, most companies, uh, even even companies that have some level of friends and family or, you know, pre-seed funding don't don't have that luxury. So the from the from the point of view of the of, of the founders, you know, who, yeah, can often be young folks, although there are all kinds of statistics on how the above 50 crew is, you know, building a lot of businesses. But but I think, but I think the reason why this discussion is sometimes more applicable to the younger founders is because they don't have the experience and track history of actually taking that idea and you know, and, and after it's gotten some traction and taking that to the next level, understanding how to build something, you know, from there that's sustainable and and you know, build teams and build systems and build models and build, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the the play to bring in somebody like yourself, the, you know, who's who's an experienced you know, operator and grower and builder of businesses can really make sense for them, you know, as a, as a strategic uh, move on their part. And it makes sense for someone like you as well. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. And uh, give it a try out there. If you, if you're a seasoned veteran, you've got some scars and you've built some companies, you don't have to have been the founder. You don't have to have been the CEO, but you've been through it. That experience is so valuable for any entrepreneur who's fighting their way uh, you know, trying to make them work and you never know what could happen. Go help one of them and they might love you to death and, you know, cut you, cut you into the company at a really high rate. So love it. Love it. Love it. Great deal. All right. So let's talk about that is a good, deal. That's exactly that's what that's it is. a deal. That's what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and all right, I was about to move on, but, but I'll just say one more distinction. You know, we often talk about financial investors and, and strategic investors, but a lot of times, we think about financial investors just being money, right? VC, private equity, that kind of stuff, whatever. Uh, we think of strategic investors being much more the like other operating companies in the space who may be making a strategic investment. But this is another kind of strategic, you know, investment move to bring in an individual who has, you know, that experience to be able to scale, you know, a business in a way where they've got a, you know, where they're not just hired, but where they have a vested, you know, a significant ownership interest you know, in the company, that's a strategic investment move, but with it, you know, but with an individual player. So just, just trying to, you know, bring out those distinctions for folks. And I think one of the other things that I learned, which I was also with relevance to your question about timing, 
yeah, I was talking to my focus was really young people mostly in their twenties yep. like, and who were trying to do interesting things and cool things. And, and I, and I was really like, but it was amazing how proud these young kids were like how, and how, like, what, do you really think I'm going to buy, like, you know, we're going to get a five and a half million and, you know, you can invest your, you know, to, and I'm like, no, like, you know, it's not worth my time. Like you don't get it, bro. Like your, your, your offer is not worth my time. Like I'm looking for something I can own like five or 10% of. And like, if you're not going to get there, let's not talk. But these kids think there are so many of them. And, and whether they're I mean, like Y Combinator is like full of it, right? Like whatever, they don't want anybody who's not a Y Combinator posse. And I would suggest if you're in this group and you're listening, don't even talk to people at Y Combinator or don't talk to their companies. You will never get anything from them. But the other groups of the people who would respect you, find those people and work with them who also are humble, who also feel like, hey, this is a person with great experience. I would really value you. I don't, you know, I'm willing to give. I want to be successful. Like, so if your company is only worth $10 million and that's the exit or 20 million, you still make some money out of it. And and not all companies are going to be like this one you're talking about a unicorn. There just are some people in some groups that are going to build massive unicorns. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. And if you don't get that deal flow, go find your own, go do your own and find people who are humble and respectful of yours as you would be respectful to other people. Like you come across, Hey man, you've been these, you know, when I went to pitch this, I went back to all these guys I knew who've been friends who built $10 billion companies who've built and sold three or four companies. And I said, guys, I need your help. Like, I need you to help me. I want to cut you into a great deal. What's it going to take? Like, and I need your advice. And that was that was the, the conversation. And here I am 45 and I'm begging people, you know, still to help me out. Right. So, you know, there you go. Like, love it. Take, take different viewpoints of things. Right. Love Don't it. Have- yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy for, you know, be in a place of, you know, ego or arrogance or entitlement. And, and and I don't want to get into the whole conversation about the younger generation and that, because I think there are people go overboard there. I think every, every generation complains about the younger generation, not being whatever. Probably, I think there's some, I, I think there's some of that going on. I also think there's a lot of brilliance in this, in this younger generation. And like anybody else, listen, I remember when I graduated law school in the eighties and, and, you know, it was a boom time and I came out of a good school and I had 17 job offers. I could have had 30, and I thought I was a big shot, right? And I, you know, negotiated to guarantee at some big law firm in the city you should have told me to get out of here, kid, and to, you know, to guarantee I'd be in a certain department, not to move me around because else I wasn't coming. And, you know, I was thought I was a big deal, right? And 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 of course, as karma had it, they gave me that. They conceded that. And then it turned out that I hated that and wanted to move into a, <laughs> what I do now. And so, you know, that, you know, that, that was, I think that was the universe trying to teach me that I shouldn't have been such an arrogant, you know, hotshot 25 year old or whatever I was, you know? So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think, I think wisdom comes with age and it's not necessarily this generation, but in any case, let's get to the book. Cause I, I, I want to talk about, especially the, I know there's a particular chapter that's much more, you know, deal oriented. Cause obviously you come from also a, a sales and development background and, and and, and you know that this podcast is actually not about organic growth. It's not about sales and marketing. We focus on the deal side. Um, but there is a place where those things sort of start to overlap. And we've had one or two people over the 200 somewhat episodes where we talk about the more enterprise, you know, kind of sales and stuff, because those are more like 
deals, you know, structured like deals. It's not, but before we get to that, just get, give it, forgetting the deal angle for the moment, just give an overview of the book in general. And then let's, let's dig into where it ties into those, those bigger deals. Sure. This, this, you know, navigate to the lighthouse is a book and a lighthouse is a symbol that a deal, a partnership would be able to project your company into a land of new opportunity or an area with a bigger growth trajectory. Uh, and that one deal is the deal that shines the light on this, all the opportunities in that area, whereby then you can uh, light up a sales team who can go one by one and knock down deals. But that initial deal, that initial partnership has signaled to a new group of people, you are in a new territory. Mm-hmm. You are a new company. You're no longer this little seed round startup. You're actually playing with the big dogs. And so the idea then is to say, well, how do you get there? What if you get stuck? And uh, what do you do to cross the proverbial chasm, right? Like Jeffrey Moore's book, what do you do to get there? And while his his book talks a lot about things that have, you know, we're back in the original, the OG days of Silicon Valley, this one really talks about this new world of trillion dollar companies. Mm-hmm. And how do you actually get deals with Microsoft's or Google's or Apple's or something that you seemingly don't think you can get, but you need to get, right? And, and, and you know, you don't have uh, Bill Gates as your investor. So I think that's what it's about. And it's, it's a method, it's a process. And the methodology we line up across 13 chapters and we say, this is how we did it. This is how we went from here all the way to there. And we look back and it was, you know, obviously you look back and it's a, it's a, it chronicles the journey and it chronicles saying, Hey, this is what happened at that point. This is why the trigger happened. This is actually how we got the lead. This is how, and, and so it really documents that. And it, it is a bit of a how-to book. It is a how-to mm-hmm. book. Uh, and, and so, you know, the reviews we've gotten are basically have been pretty good. And they say, you know, most of the people are saying, you'll get so much out of this book if you, if you really think about the process he's outlined. So let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. Talk about it at a high level because you know it's it's very different. And I, you know, I, listen, people should go read the book. Obviously, you know, there's a there's a, there's a whole process in there. We're not going to cover it all on this podcast. But you know, at a high level, there is a difference between when you deal with these bigger players, right? I mean, you know, there, there's you know, and 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 even this conversation of partnering. Right with them, as opposed to you know, you're not just looking to sell them a product, right? You know, there's different ways that they they can be key strategic partners for you going forward, and like you said, you can leverage that. So, talk to us a little bit about that in a little more detail, on a, but on a you know, on the high level, the important differences in those kind of deals. I think the the, the way to look at it is that you are investing a significant amount of your resources of the company into the partnership. Mm-hmm. So you are actually saying, whereas in the sales world, you're hiring salespeople and they have a cookie cutter kind of sales sheet and they're, okay, so if I sell this and this and this and bop, but you're saying, no, 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 no. Like in order for this partnership to get done, 
We're not only going to have to put engineering resources, product resources, the board is going to have to help us with meetings. The CEO is going to have to go meet the CEO. The engineers are going to have to get, get together and break some bread and talk about this. And we're going to have to have a full team effort in trying to get this, you know, this, this gorilla to dance and, and, and to really invest resources. That's going to take, you know, you know, at one point we were investing, you know, 75% of our entire company on three deals. Hopefully one of them would land. Okay. And one of them did land and that was Sony. And that was the one that kind of jumped the thing up to get Apple. And uh, so the idea is that you have to make a significant resource investment and you have to believe in that. And that's the difference because they're going to invest in you too. And so that's part of the conversation. You're not just investing in them. They're going to have to reciprocate. And that's one of the chapters I tell you, one of the areas I talk about turning the tables. Like, even though you're the smaller player, you've got to learn to turn the tables because if you don't, they'll drag you along. And so that's, that's one of the keys, but how you invest your resources to get those partnerships is important, but they're going to leap you into a new level. And, uh, it's worth the bet, right? Or otherwise you'll toil, uh, you know, really hard in that same pond you're in and you're not going to yeah. get anywhere. And uh, so- That's great. And let, let's talk about, so, so you know, obviously the book's going to help people get to create those key strategic partnerships with these bigger companies. And then and then the, the next thing is how you leverage that, right? I mean, the obvious thing is you get to tell people, oh, we, we're doing business with, or we have a partnership with, you know, Microsoft or whatever it is, right? But what you know, what do people do beyond that to, to you know to leverage those partnerships for further growth? Mm, so the question is: is repeat it, How do you leverage the partnership? Yeah. So in other, in other words, you, you you've land now. You finally landed one of those you know one of those great strategic partnerships with one of these companies, right? What yeah. you know? What what do you do? Because the way you phrase this, which I think is important is that this is a way you can really accelerate that growth opportunity for companies, right? You're not toiling in these little one-off trying to sell, right? So, and, and that that growth is not just because of the direct revenue income that you get from any kind of partnership there. There's a way that you're going to leverage that into future growth, right? Right. For the company, so, which will- What are the keys? So so there's, there's, there's like the, the trick of the Lighthouse deal isn't necessarily the biggest deal in the block. Yeah. It's the deal that says we're here. So sometimes that deal doesn't have a lot of revenue. Sometimes That's point. Saying, right. you're just saying, I need to get this deal done to tell these other people we're here to play ball. And yeah. so, and so what you want to do is you, you, you invest in it and you make it and you, and you have to do your customer, you have to land and expand, right? So you got to do your customer success. You have to make the deal work and you got to get those people to love you because that's your reference account, right? So that, then they're going to say, Hey, when you're at dinner and you take everybody out, you're like, hey, that these guys are the best. And they're like, oh yeah, great. You guys are the best, right? So that that's the key is, is not only leveraging the technology and making it work or leveraging the partnership, but it's making sure the relationship that they're behind you and they're going to help you. Uh, and that's another key component. Uh, and there's lots of ways to do that, but that relationship's important. I mean, I know some companies give equity to other companies and I've you know, heard this is, you know, it's a big thing recently, but, you know, we didn't do any of that. So we were, we were pretty straightforward. So that relationship building management and, and, you know, having them try to help you is very important. So not just making money. Right. And, and sometimes. That was great. Actually, and that, 
Yeah, that was the distinction I wanted to bring out, right? Because I know a lot of these deals actually aren't like it's not like, oh, you're landing the big fish and now suddenly you're getting, you know, that's how you're making your money. It's really that that concept of that lighthouse deal, which is why I love that analogy and and why you titled your book that way, is yeah, as you know, how, you know how you can leverage it. Right now, you're on the map. Now you're you get right. You said it's a reference account, even with regard to like raising capital and things like that. Right? I mean, what's the impact on that? Yeah, and to go back at that, you know, the juxtaposition of the lighthouse is that whilst the lighthouse from a distance shines hope, shines light, and gives you hope of the lighthouse, right? And, and that there's there's land when you don't want to get too close because you run ashore. <laughs> so right, that's, right, that, right. That's the dichotomy. You want to stay a little bit away from it. <laughs> and, and in some ways, I don't like explain that clearly. That didn't come out very clearly in the book, but it does when I talk about boundaries and things like that. So, so you don't want to let them sink you at the same time. The With financing, I think what I've found too is that it's important, right? Like I just had an investor say he's going to invest because his other buddy invested. <laughs> and sure. so like, they didn't even know we were both talking. <laughs> and, so, and so then he called me up. He's like, hey, I just heard Sean's going to invest. So I think, you know, if he's invest, I'll put some money in. I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, maybe I should be asking, you know, these guys who their friends are, who else wants to invest. And certainly, certainly you should do that. Uh, see who else is interested, right? And, and I think, that's important. Of course, on the investment side, you have to be a little bit more careful just to make sure that they're kind of in the same boat. So what I have found in that world that you you have to find investors, those those people are going to be wanting making bets at the same stage. Whereas there are sometimes what happens, what I have learned is that, well, I can't really introduce you to him because he's going to, or her, because she wants, she's going to want to be, you be at this level and you're not there yet. I need to, we need to wait. So yeah. Yeah, but still leveraging them and understanding. And another thing is like, you know, another thing about these deals is my experience and philosophy is get in front of people early. Like talk to as many people as you can. Hey, we're doing this. And one of the things about doing partnerships and actually why Combinator will say not to do this, but I disagree. But, you know, get in front of them. Hey, we're doing this. Here's our projections. Here's what we're going to do in six months. I'm going to come back to you in six months and I'm going to knock those out of the park. And then you're going to put skin in the game because not only did I tell you what I was going to do, I did it. And they're going to be like, oh, it's because that it's a process of getting to know somebody. I can't expect somebody who doesn't know me to cut a check once they meet me. I even have people who say, Kurt, we know you, we like you, but you're, you're in this like weird thing. And you've just been there for two months. Why don't you give it some time and come back? I said, look, when I, when I come back to you, I'm going to have 200 paying accounts. And when I have 200 paying accounts, would you invest? Yeah, we'd invest then. Okay. Okay. You said it. I'm going to come back to you in six months. And yeah. so play the game, play the game, have fun with it. And I think so many people get serious about it. Like play a game, have fun. And that's, and that's business development too. I do that in business development sales. I don't expect someone to do a deal with me the first time I knock on their door. What's the code? Seven times they need to see something in a marketing email. Hey, I'm going to call you five times. That's And then after that, you know, if I put my money where my mouth is and I execute it, you might be stupid if you didn't do the deal because yeah. something tells me that like, you know, I can understand. And also because when you're doing these partnerships, you have to expect the and investing. It's very similar. You have to expect these people are going to spend a lot of time evaluating the thing. They're investing a lot of resources too. And so you want to make sure you respect that time. Hey, I respect that you're taking the time to talk to me still and you're listening, you're hearing me out. 
and and uh, so anyway, a little off tangent there, but no, 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 I love it because and and for me it all it does come together because the you know there's this this thing where there are definitely people you know you want to let them know what you do and you want to get them involved you want to inform them early you may not be ready for them but you, you know you're telling them you're going to come back to them in six months and you can have certain things in place certainly getting some of these lighthouse deals as you call them in place is certainly something that will help and be impressive to say you know if you if you're if you're early stage you got none of those then you go back in six months and you got two huge strategic partners you know even if it's not huge revenue just that validation in the marketplace can make a big difference to to investors for example right right and i think so many people think about partnerships and fundraising as a zero one game and i don't think i don't think that's a good way to look at it it's a it's a it's a, it's a getting to know game and showing traction and letting people know your capabilities to execute and get things done and i think that's I think that is a is a good process to to take. I remember I was talking to some young people and they were like, oh, they weren't interested. I'm like, no, 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 no. They didn't say they weren't interested. They are the perfect investor for you. You just don't have you're I don't know why they didn't. Like maybe they don't know you. Maybe, maybe they weren't uncertain. You have no idea what they're saying in the back. Like yeah. just keep going after them and show them you can do it. And lo and behold, Nine months later, they ended up getting that investor because they didn't quit. They didn't quit. Right. I mean, really what it is, is it's a not now. Yeah. In the book, there's a whole whole paragraph. I was like, a no is not a no. Unless they slam the door and say, never talk to me again. Right. Maybe they file a court order against you. (laughs) Like, it's not a no. Like, it's like, it's not now. It's not until your product's better. It's not until the market turns. It's not until you close that other deal. It's not until like, I have a whole list of this in the book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Not now. All right. So t- t- talking about the, the before I ask you my final question, talking about the book and anything else you're up to, the, you know, the, your company, I assume the book's available in all the usual uh, places or is there a website they can go to? What, what's the best place to find out more about the book and everything else you're involved in? Sure. It's an Amazon. And I think it's on most of the digital stores out there. Yeah. And you can read more about it at uh, www.kdalive, Kurt Davis, KD Alive, because I'm still alive.com. And so you can go there, you can see my travel blogs, you can see the three books, you can see whatever you want to uh, peruse, and uh, you, know, you can read more about that book. And, you know, we're not knocking down any bestseller list. And we did, we did hit an Amazon bestseller, you know, but, you know, not one of these big ones, but yeah, you know, it's, it's done pretty well and we've enjoyed it. And so hopefully we'll, so the, the focus is building right now. I'm I'm extremely focused and I am writing a book as I build this one. So this one's a new one. I'm actually writing the book while I do it. So this will be a first of its kind where most people do things in reflection. I'm actually writing it as we go. And there'll probably be a co-publisher on this one and it will knock your socks off if I can get this deal done. So I'll know in the next month or two if this is going to happen and if it does, it's going to rock. It's going to rock. And I'm really excited about it. And it's going to be something every entrepreneur is going to end up reading, I think. I love that. So, so listen, that, folks, if right. you're hearing this, by the time this airs, it will be more than that couple of months later. So definitely check on Kurt's site and see whether, you know, that 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 is that has happened, that new opportunities come out. It's I love you know, writing it as get, you're doing get it. Get the deal done. I'll put it on the site coming coming in 2024. Yeah. Perfect. Coming, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, well, this will, if it's coming, yeah, I, I, then this will be released before then. But, but I love, I love that, I love that sort of approach. I mean, one of the, the literally the first podcast I ever paid attention to was the startup podcast where Alex Bloomberg did a podcast about him starting his podcast company. 
and raising money from Chris Saka. And, you know, and this is a company that eventually sold to Gimlet. It was Gimlet Media sold to Spotify for, I think it was $40 million or something. And literally, I love the meta, the meta approach of, you know, he was like picking a name and his way, you know, he had recordings of his wife laughing at his name choices and, you know, and, and, and how he blew the pitch to Chris Saka in the beginning. And it was literally, you know, that kind of thing where he did it as he did it. And that's what helped actually build his podcast company. So it's a similar approach in book form. So I'm really looking forward to it. We'll see how it goes. So, yeah. So awesome. Awesome. So Kurt, my final question on the podcast is always about my highest value in life, which is freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom around the world, from all people from oppression to why I've been an entrepreneur for decades and haven't had a boss. What does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Hmm. I think I think freedom is the ability to kind of kind of wake up where you want when you want and how you want to take your own abilities and make your own mark in the world in a positive way. And I think as a society we're struggling with what positive is. And I think I, I, I don't know. I, I think that's my freedom mm-hmm. and that's how I wake up and, and choose to do it. And, and society, you know, I love to travel as you do and, you know, people are generally free, but not everywhere. And it, 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 when you see that, then you start to wonder, you know, freedom of, you know, the ability to go to the grocery store and eat what you'd like. I mean, that's just these things we don't always value as, in this great society we built as a country and people from all over, you know, the world have come here and done great things. So, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's what I think about. And I question, you know, where that lies in our society right now, what mm. positive. So mm. powerful. But Davis, thanks, thanks for being such a great question. I mean, it's really deep. <laughs> I never thought of really, really, yeah, I haven't thought about it and articulated it. So yeah, no, I listen, I appreciate it. And it's, yeah, it's the way I've, you know, I've gotten, I just, well, a, a, once we rebranded the podcast after the first year from fueling deals to deal quest, that became my final question. And I've gotten, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's fascinating to hear the answers from, from various, you know, folks as they think about that. And, you know, we've had folks not only from the U S but we have folks on from other parts of the world as guests. So, you know, it's interesting, the different cultural perspectives and international perspectives. And so I appreciate you thinking about that in real time and giving us your answer. Thank you. Appreciate you. Appreciate your audience and having me on and wish all you guys the best and gals the best in your, your deal making. So I hope my book can help a little bit. We've had a lot of different people review it from real estate agents to retail store entrepreneurs. It's really been fascinating to see what, how, how it's helped. So love it. Love it. Yeah, definitely check it out, folks. Kurt Davis, thanks for being such a great guest on the DealQuest podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. 
That's CoreyKupfer.com slash DealDen. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.